From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. From the moment that space exploration became possible, astronauts have reported experiencing sensations of awe and connectedness as they gaze back at Earth. This phenomenon is known as the overview effect. But as the private space industry grows, romantic ideas about space and our place in it have been obscured by the reality of its corporatisation. Today, writer for The Monthly, Keridwin Dovey, on the space industry entrepreneurs and why we should be worried about what they're planning. So, Keridwin, a really important term in the way that we think about space exploration is the overview effect. Can you tell me what that term, the overview effect, refers to and and where it comes from? Yeah, the overview effect is a very beautiful idea. There was a researcher in the 80s called Frank White who was really interested in what uh, the American astronauts had experienced when they were up in space and whether they'd had any kind of shift in, you know, spiritual awareness or consciousness when they were up there floating and gazing back at Earth and getting those, you know, incredible sense of the overview of the whole planet. It's this notion of, of, of wonder and awe at seeing the universe and seeing life on Earth from that point of view. There was something very beautiful about what some of them said, which is that, you know, they did have a feeling of transcendence. It's incredible how it hits you, that experience of seeing the atmosphere as this, no kidding, paper-thin layer of air that protects us and keeps us safe in your view of the planet and your experience of the planet. And, you know, when they looked back at Earth, they didn't see a patchwork of national interests and borders, the way that we experience it when, you know, we're living it. You start to see the world as what it actually is. It's one place. And I think we collectively are more liable to make good decisions for ourselves and for where we live, the more clearly we can see the whole thing as as one place. They kind of grasped at that notion of Gaia and the planetary system that's connected and interconnection of all things. I was like, holy moly, there is not a single thing on Earth that's alive or not alive, that isn't connected in some way and dependent on everything else. So it's causing us to look in awe and amazement at the uh, immensity of the universe. But I think what happened is that the idea then got a little bit co-opted or it has in recent times as space has been privatized. And it's now become a kind of moral justification for anything that's done in space. My problem with the term is that I feel it's increasingly being used to justify profit-making in space. And that's when I start to feel that the term is perhaps, you know, not serving the purposes it was designed to serve. Mm. Let's talk about profit-making in space. What do we know about the companies who are investing in space exploration at the moment? And and how are they using this concept to, to frame their ambitions? Well, you know, the privatisation of space has happened so quickly and it's sort of happened right in front of our eyes. But I find many people that I speak to have no idea that it's happening. 
Um, and to give you a sense, you know, it used to be that about a third of things happening in space were military, a third were national governments, and a third were commercial activities. And for the first time this year, that commercial chunk has overtaken the others. Commercial space is the big focus for the future of this company and the space economy continues. Uh, and, it continues and there's also- many views on this. Some people think this is a, a wonderful thing, that this is a new economic frontier and a frontier economy and that you know there's nothing more exciting than the idea of mining space resources and space minerals. But I'm horrified by this idea. And I have started to really look quite critically at the mainstream companies that are starting to want to use it as a playground for their own business plans. Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic is selling tickets to space and says demand is sky high. The cost of going weightless, a quarter of a million dollars. But on Monday... So there's all the usual culprits, you know, they're all the time in the media, SpaceX and Amazon's got Blue Origin and then Richard Branson's got Virgin Galactic. Together, we can make space accessible in a way that has only been dreamt of before now. And by doing that, we can truly bring positive change to life on Earth. This spaceship is... And so, meanwhile, he's busy recruiting this uber-wealthy on Earth to put down their deposits to get the ultimate privilege of being the first tourist in space. And here we are on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, launching the first spaceship company. And um, the resources we get from this are going to enable us to do uh, wondrous things. Once you start noticing this term being used in every single article, they're usually quite breathless, these articles. They're very excited about these space futures. And you'll notice that in almost every one, the overview effect is brought into it and never critically, never without any kind of background context to understand the strategic aims that these space industrialists might have for saying that what they're doing out there is is deserving of of awe and wonder and actually using them in in ways that I feel are are very um, sinister. Mm. Yeah, what do you think is going on here? Do you think it's that that it's a a convenient term that's enabled them to be able to to talk about what they do in these, you know, in these very, (laughs) very benevolent ways? Do you think it sort of acts as a bit of a, a smokescreen for their purposes? Yes, I think the hypocrisy that really gets to me is that they're at the same time as they're building space empires for profit, they are using this strange sort of smoke and mirrors tactic of saying, we're doing this for all of you. You know, we're going to build an interplanetary civilization and you can thank us for that. You know, we're going to save you all. And this is nothing new. If you look at Silicon Valley, I mean, it's the same kind of utopian tech speak, which we used to kind of not think of very critically. But I think in the wake of everything that we now know about the ways in which big tech literally can change the world for negative ways, I'm just surprised that people seem to take off their critical thinking cap whenever it comes to space, even though we know what these companies have done on Earth. We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, 
and you'll receive the Saturday Papers stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Caridon, we're talking about the space companies who are looking to profit from space exploration. And there are those who are promising to send people into space, but there are also others that have seen a different opportunity and that's surveillance. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, this is the the irony, right, is that the overview effect encourages us to think about all the lovely things we can see from space and to have a, you know, warm and fuzzy moment. But, of course, the reality is that, you know, since we've had satellite technologies and since we've been able to put artificial eyes in the sky, generally they've been used for not great things. But I think the step change, again, that we're sort of on the brink of is that we are developing the technologies to basically export surveillance capitalism into space. It's already pretty much there. And, you know, so much of what's in space is classified because it's already a militarized zone. But a company, you know, like Worldview Enterprises, for example, which is a U.S. company, and they've developed something called a Stratolite. We deploy state-of-the-art, lighter-than-air stratolites, vehicles with sensors and navigation hardware attached to giant balloons into the stratosphere. And And this is going to have such incredible visual data um, and such accurate visual data that it will be able to tell if someone on the ground is holding a gun or a shovel, which is such a chilling image to me. Stratolites operate in the stratosphere at lower altitudes than satellites, navigating using winds at different elevations and offer persistent observation of areas of interest for months at a time, which breaks all... And, you know, I was looking at who are the first customers that they've got lined up. And of course, it's the U.S. Department of Defense and it's gas and oil companies who are, of course, desperate to extend and find further schemes that they can extend their business models on. So that's the dystopian underbelly that I talk about of the overview effects that, you know, if we want to have the power to be able to look back at Earth, we need to be really careful about who's doing the looking and then what they're going to use that visual data for. Okay. And so do you think that here in Australia, we are engaging enough with these problems? Are we thinking critically enough about the way that the commercialisation of space could play out and what the consequences could be? I mean, our own space agency, the Australian Space Agency, we've only had it for a couple of years. And instead of building on an incredible history of space diplomacy, which Australia has, really working hard on all the UN treaties over many, many decades and to keep space a peaceful zone, we have basically said that our only goal is to triple the local space industry. If we continue down this path, we will essentially have rivalrous claims made, both in the orbits around Earth in terms of who's getting to put what where, and then particularly on the moon, now that there's such a focus on getting back to the moon, mining the moon, creating bases on the moon. I'm just really worried that, you know, once you've 
allowed people to make a claim to make profit from that sort of activity, which the US has done, which is very controversial because it's actually illegal. Many people believe, according to international space law, where you're not meant to own space resources, but the US has given its own citizens the right to mine and own and sell space resources. And we, I think, have maybe assumed that these things are all very far off from happening. But in fact, we are on the precipice of this huge change. And once these things have happened, you know, once the moon started to be mined for profit, once private companies like SpaceX have started putting tens of thousands of Starlink satellites into very low orbits around the Earth, and many other companies will follow, we will have reached a point of no return and it will be very hard to roll that back. It's all happening, but it's all happening in such a way that no one is really picking at the loose threads. And I have wondered, you know, if again in a few decades there'll be some sort of Panama Papers type massive scale investigation of corruption in these space industries because they just seem so perfect and ripe to be corrupted. It's like the perfect storm of an unregulated frontier economy that's um, being allowed to do whatever it wants. Mm. Okay. And so, Caridwen, if we leave aside this idea of the overview effect and the way that it's allowed us to see space exploration as inherently benevolent, are there other ways that you think we should be conceptualising our role in space? I would love for us to learn from all the mistakes that we've made on Earth in terms of the human-centric approach to the natural world. And I would really love for us to even be asking the first principle questions like, not all humans believe we should explore space or that we have any kind of moral right to do that. It's, again, just an assumption that, of course, we're going to go out there and it's the same kind of manifest destiny madness that took Americans across their whole country, devastating communities as they went and environments, thinking that this was their God-given right. Whenever I have conversations with people about this stuff, I mean, they look at me a bit weird at the beginning, but when we actually get into it and people realize that we're on the brink of letting companies mine the moon for profits and not for science, but to make money, something changes in their eyes. And it's it's horrifying, I think, to most of us. But have we been asked? You know, who asked us as Australian citizens if that's what we wanted from our space agency to triple local industry and send more and more stuff up into space for profit? Like, it's just... A lot of this comes back to awareness and understanding what's happening. And of course, because private companies are not as accountable as governments, they can do it under cover of, of night, quite literally, you know, stealth operating, very little reporting about their practices such that suddenly they can surprise us by, you know, starting to launch satellite mega constellations like SpaceX did in 2019, completely shocking the whole world, including professional astronomers whose science has now been really terribly affected by what they're doing. So yes, vigilance, I think, and independent, you know, ways of holding these companies accountable. We've gotten very sophisticated, I think, in how we think about Earth environments and how we protect them and what we've done wrong. And it would be great to take that same wisdom with us out into space. Caridwin, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ruby.
Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the first vials of the Pfizer vaccine for COVID-19 have arrived in Australia ahead of the national rollout. Frontline health and quarantine workers and those in aged care will begin to receive the vaccine from next Monday. The government expects 60,000 doses to be rolled out by the end of the month. And Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews says the state is in a good position to open back up on Thursday, but hasn't ruled out a longer lockdown. Victoria recorded one new local coronavirus case yesterday, the mother of a three-year-old who previously tested positive. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.